Okay, would you please turn to Ezekiel chapter 23 in your Bibles this evening? Ezekiel 23. And uh, we went through the first 21st, uh, 21st, yeah, first 21st verses. Let me see if I said that right. Went through the first 21st verses. Okay. I had to kind of think about that one. Uh, last week, we did 21 verses. I guess that's the best way to say it. And <clears throat> this is quite, a, quite an intense chapter. As I mentioned last week, um, God was, was revealing these terrible sins of both Israel and Judah the divided kingdom, Samaria being the capital of, uh, of the northern kingdom, or at least the place where they were sacrificing, and they weren't sacrificing unto the Lord. But that's where idol worship was taking place. But Jerusalem being the place where God wanted the people to worship, even there were they worshiping idols as well. And as we said last time, these were the reasons why the northern kingdom of Israel went into captivity in Assyria and the southern kingdom of Judah went into captivity in Babylon a few years later. But I mentioned last week that this is probably one of the more graphic, sexually graphic chapters. We got a little taste of it last, last week uh, in the scriptures and not in a good way. Uh, this is not the Song of Solomon. Uh, the, these are the charges that God is making against his people about their sin against him. Their rebellion against his laws and his word. Their disobedience to the God that created them and loved them and made them what he wanted them to be, which was his people. So the content of chapter 23, were, or the contents of chapter 23, were given by the Lord God to Ezekiel in the form of a parable of two harlot sisters, Aholah the elder and Aholibah the younger sister, or Aholibah I should say, the younger sister, two sisters whom the Lord had brought up out of the land of Egypt and charged to be faithful to him, but both in fact turned away from him and followed after idolatries in their grossest forms. In verse 4, the Lord identified the two sisters. Samaria was the elder Ahola, while Jerusalem was the younger sister Aholiba. And as we learned last time, Ahola means she has her own tent, since Samaria, or the northern kingdom of Israel, had set up her own center of worship. They didn't want to worship in Jerusalem, and so they went uh, with Jeroboam and they began to worship other gods. Even though they were saying they were worshiping God, they were worshiping other gods in, in Samaria. Aholiba, which means my tent is in her, of course refers to Jerusalem and Judah, or the southern kingdom, since the Lord declared that it would be the center of worship for all of Israel, in other words, Jerusalem. And, uh, but they went further in their idolatrous harlotry and immorality lusting not only after the Assyrians, as did Samaria, 
but then lusted after the images of the men of Babylon. And remember now, this is all spiritual harlotry. This is, uh, you know, spiritual uh, disobedience, spiritual idolatry that's going on. But in the picture of this parable uh, that has such tremendous sexual connotations. And this is the way God brought it out to them through the prophet that they lusted after the images of the men of Babylon, eventually sending messengers to them and inviting them to the land. In both cases, the Lord would abandon them to their lovers who finally uncovered their nakedness and slew them with a sort of judgment. And so the judgment of the older sister Ahola or Samaria should have been a warning to the younger sister Aholibah or Jerusalem, but she refused to heed the warning. So it was in verses 11 through 21 that the focus turned to Jerusalem, as just mentioned, and also brings us to the next section of the text. So we begin by reading in verse 22, Therefore, O Aholibah, thus saith the Lord God. So God is speaking directly to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And he says through the prophet, Behold, I will raise up thy lovers against thee. <clears throat> from whom thy mind is alienated. Now that little phrase, from whom thy mind is alienated, happens a few times in this chapter. And that alienation is, is really, here, here they are having this, this kind of liaison, but they have nothing to tie them together. They're from two totally different worlds. And the idea here is that when God saves us, he tells us, be holy as I am holy. Now, now that's, that's, that's a high mark. I mean, that, that's, that's a high measure. And we realize that we in our flesh cannot accomplish that. We can't achieve that without Jesus Christ. But he wants us to be separate from the world, from the way the world is and the way the world does things. So really, when we came to Christ, our minds were alienated from, from the things of the world. So keep, keep that in mind as far as how that applies to this statement. Behold, I will raise up thy lovers against thee from whom thy mind is alienated, and I will bring them against thee on every side. In other words, you start messing with the things that you, you think are, you know, have some kind of uh, sensual or sexual uh, uh, connotation to it, and it's going to destroy you because it has nothing to do with what I have given to you. I'll bring them against you on every side. Verse 23, the Babylonians and all the Chaldeans, Pekod, Shoah, and Koah, and all the Assyrians with them, all of them desirable young men, captains and rulers, great lords and renowned, all of them riding upon horses, and they shall come against thee with chariots, wagons, and wheels, and with an assembly of people, which shall set against thee buckler and shield and helmet round about, and I will set judgment before them, and they shall judge thee according to their judgment. So as, as a consequence of her spiritual adultery, Jerusalem would face God's judgment. There are four clear judgments pronounced by the Lord through Ezekiel. And uh, we'll get it, you'll get one in verse 22, one in 28, and then a couple more in just a moment after that. 
But the first is found in verse, verses 22 through 27. The Lord would turn Jerusalem's lovers against her. The very nations that Jerusalem lusted after would turn away from her, just as the Assyrians had done to Samaria and the northern kingdom of Israel, Babylon and its vassal states would march against Jerusalem and the nation of Judah. Now when I say that God is turning their lovers against her, what what do I mean by that? Again, we're we're thinking of this this parable that God has has set forth of of two cities uh, and, and he calls them harlots. So we know that that's, that's another word for prostitute. And, and so they're prostituting themselves to all these other nations that have nothing in common with them because they are completely heathen. They're completely pagan in all of their ways. And they're idol worshipers. And, one of the, and the first tablet that was given to Israel when they received the law from God had everything to do with them worshiping only one God, and never making any idols whatsoever, not worshiping idols at all, not making any graven images, but worshiping the one true God and Him alone. So what he is saying then is that they are going after these things as if one who is, who is trying to acquire lovers for themselves. But coming right out of the world... And even worse than that, coming right out of the pits of hell. The very nations that Jerusalem lusted after would turn away from her. And just as the Assyrians had done to Samaria in the northern kingdom of Israel, Babylon, again, had these states. I, I mentioned a couple of names here. In a moment, I'll, I'll explain who they are. But they were states that were under Babylon's rule. And even though they allowed those states to have their own kings or their own leaders, those leaders were subject to Nebuchadnezzar. They were subject to the leadership of Babylon. I mentioned three tribes earlier, Pekod, Shoah, and Koah. These were Aramean tribes. Now, just for your information, the Arameans were actually Syrians, not Assyrians. Those were two different tribes. The Assyrians were the larger tribe that actually took over uh, the northern kingdom of, of uh, Israel, the ten tribes of Israel that went up north and, and had their center of worship in, in, Assyri- in, uh, I'm sorry, in Samaria, the Assyrians had taken over them. But under the Assyrian ruler, at the time Sennacherib, but whoever it was as far as Assyria was concerned, they had these vassal states. Well, so did Babylon. And Babylon had Pekod, Shoah, and Koah, and they were Armenian, and they were therefore Syrian. In fact, the area where Syria is today, and we hear a lot about Syria in, in the news. Well, that's, that's, those are the, Ar- Arme- Ar- I'm sorry, the <laughs> Arameans. And, and they still have some hold of, of that particular area of the land. And they're going to play a greater role, actually, as we go on in the book of Ezekiel. And we've seen it already in the book of Jeremiah that uh, God is going to deal with Syria and with Damascus. But that's for another time. Anyway, uh, these tribes, Pekod, Shoah, and Koah, were incorporated into the Babylonian Empire along with, and by the way, remember this, the Assyrians are now under Babylon. So there were Assyrians, Syrians, and others 
under Nebuchadnezzar and, and the kingdom of Babylon because Babylon now was the major empire of the world. And those would be the examples of the vassal states that were swallowed up by Babylon. But the Babylonian Empire would mobilize a massive and powerful army to invade Jerusalem. Jerusalem and, and, and Judah got everybody mad, especially Nebuchadnezzar and especially the Babylonians. Got them mad because they were trying to have they, they were trying to make alliances with the Egyptians. They were trying to make alliances with the Assyrians. They were trying to make alliances with everybody. And 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 that so that they could, you know, kind of come out from under under this, this, this Babylonian threat. Well, the Babylonians decided to mobilize their armies and they came to invade Jerusalem. Now remember, they've already done twice, they've already done something twice and they were getting ready to do the third time. You know, the third time's not a charm here. But the two times, they've already taken captives from, from uh, Judah and taken them to Babylon. So there were two groups that have already gone to Babylon and the last siege is gonna be the worst siege. And that's what all of this is leading to. So those invaders were in effect God's agents for executing his judgment upon Jerusalem. God was using the Babylonians to, in fact, judge his own people. But also to wake them up. And he knew that they had to, they, they, they had to be awakened in, in, a, in a very strong way. Because we note that it's not, going to, it's not going to be a light invasion either. Look at verses 25 through 27. God says, and I will set my jealousy against thee. And they shall deal furious, furiously with thee. They shall take away thy nose and thine ears. I'll explain that in a moment. And thy remnant shall fall by the sword. They shall take thy sons and thy daughters and thy residue shall, de shall be devoured by the fire. In other words, that whole city of Jerusalem is going to be completely destroyed. They shall also strip thee out of thy clothes and take away thy fair jewels. Thus will I make thy lewdness to cease from thee. They had become so sexually active in idolatry. And this was, this was, uh, was not part of the parable. This is actually what they were getting involved in. That he has to say to them, you know, I'm doing this because I am going to make your lewdness stop. Cease from thee, and thy whoredom brought from the land of Egypt. You know, that's got to stop. So that thou shalt not lift up thine eyes unto them, nor remember Egypt anymore. That is where they learned these things. The Babylonian attack was furious, wounding and killing many. They would torture survivors, and they would deport them through the Babylonian, throughout the Babylonian kingdom. Tragically, some of the citizens of Jerusalem would, would be burned alive when the, when the conquerors set buildings and homes on fire. They didn't care. Much like groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS don't care. They, they have no compassion for anybody. This is the same thing. Uh, and I'm not going to say it's, the, it's, it's, it's worse. It's only worse in the scale of how big the Babylonian Empire was. How big the armies of Babylon were that came and attacked Israel or uh, Judah. Verses 25 and 26 refer to, uh, you know, where it talks about the nose. What it says there. 
they shall take away thy nose and thine ears. And you think, that's pretty mean. Well, these verses refer to facial mutilations, which were common practice in Mesopotamia. Now, Mesopotamia, of course, as we, we know, someone very famous that came from Mesopotamia, that was Abraham. He came from Ur of the Chaldees, which was in the Mesopotamian region, there near the Tigris-Euphrates River, the fertile land, the fertile crescent. And uh, yet this, this practice was, was actually, you know, historically found, you know, to be something that came from Mesopotamia. For what reason? They mutilated faces of those who committed adultery. The idea being that the woman's face became so grotesque that she would be undesirable to anybody else. That was the whole idea behind that. And thus, wherever she went, she would bear the humiliation, the shame, and the guilt of her actions. And this was happening not just to women, but to all of the Jews, or most of the Jews anyway, many of the Jews. It was found that that was taking place. Well, it's told, it's told to us here in the scriptures. And this is what the Lord is doing with Judah here. As they are taken into captivity, beaten, disfigured, and naked, she would bear her shame for all to see. Folks, it's not coincidence what we see about the Jewish people in history. And this is the reason why we as believers in Jesus Christ and we as believers in the gospel of Jesus and, and we who love Israel because we know they're God's people and God has commanded us to love them. I will bless those who bless thee. I will curse those who curse thee. Yes, they, they've, they failed in a lot of ways themselves to keep their obedience to God. We know there was always a remnant, though, and praise the Lord for that, because without a remnant, they'd have all been wiped out. But it's a people that we, we, we want to continue to pray for. We're, we're commanded to pray for them. These things are, are of utmost importance to us as believers. There should never be a believer in Jesus Christ, a, a, a true believer in Jesus Christ who will ever be an anti-Semite. The, the sad thing is that there are churches today that are, that are anti-Semitic against Israel today because you know, they've taken some very progressive liberal approach to Israel and, and you know, they, they want to back up the Palestinian people. And, but they're, they're blind or, or they're, they're, they're willfully blind to the fact that Israel has to do everything that they can just to stay in existence. But there's no other country that surrounds them that are really their friends. Even, their, even the ones that they're, they, they're kind of friends to are not their friends. And that was proven back you know, in 1948. It was proven in 1956. It was proven in 1967. And it was proven in 1973. And all those major wars and the intifada after that in the 80s. And you can go on and on and on. 
So what's happening here, we have to understand God is allowing this to happen through Babylon. Not because he hates his people, but because he loves his people. That's hard for us to understand because we live in such a, uh, you know, fair-minded world. You know, everything has to be fair. Why is God being unfair? You know. No, but the, the problem is we need to know who God is. God is holy. And he's righteous and he's just and he's true. But he's also merciful and gracious. He's also loving. Our God is a God of love. And we know that because he's a God of life, not a God of death. But man fell into sin and is paying the consequences of that because they brought sin into the picture. Now, I'm, I'm not talking theologically about, you know, you know who, who's the source of all sin. Well, we know who the source of sin is. And it's not God. If we study the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we know one thing. God did not create sin. Because God cannot sin. Now, we're not going to go into that because then, then I'll, I'll be here till, thir- you know, till about you know, 1230 tonight trying to finish this chapter. But the point is, I'm just trying to get you to understand. I think most of you do understand how much God loves his people and how much he wants them to be right with him. Because he's given them everything. He's given them everything. Because he's given them himself. So, why would God do such a horrible thing? Not a sin thing. The Babylonian army would, would plunder all the wealth of the nation. But the severity of the destruction would accomplish God's purpose. The severity of the destruction would accomplish God's purpose. It would put a stop to Jerusalem's spiritual adultery. And it would end her relationship with Egypt. That's in our text. Jerusalem would no longer love Egypt or look to the Egyptians for security and prosperity. What is interesting today is that Israel's broken relationship with Egypt had continued down through the centuries, even to today. There are some diplomatic ties, but they're they're not really friends. The same goes for Jordan. They have some diplomatic ties. But as I said earlier, when, when things you know, come to a certain place, it's, it's going to be them against everybody. As a whole, in whatever spiritual condition they may find themselves in, the Jews have abhorred idolatry for the last 20 centuries. As foretold in Hosea chapter 3, and if you remember, I mentioned Hosea last week because Hosea was a, a prophet who God said to go and marry a prostitute so that he could make these points to the people of Israel. In Hosea 3 verses 4 and 5, he says, uh, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice and without an image and without an ephod and without teraphim. 
After shall the children, afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So what do we know after AD 70? After the Romans now take over Jerusalem, what do we know? That's the, the, the time of the diaspora, the, 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 uh, uh, you know, the, dis, the dispensing of Israel all into all parts of the world. And they weren't in the land. Maybe from time to time they'll get in, but you know, as a people, they weren't there anymore. They were taken out of the land. But notice, they wouldn't have a king, they wouldn't have a prince, they wouldn't have a sacrifice, an image uh, without an ephod, without teraphim, with all the things that they themselves would normally use, whether right or, no, or wrong, they would normally use in their worship. But he says, but afterwards, nearly 20 centuries later, Israel would return and they would seek the Lord their God. And Israel is in the land today. Not so much because of the Balfour Declaration in 1917. They're there because God wants them there. They're there because God has put them back in the land. There's no better way to put it. But that God's hand is upon them. Have they all come to the Lord yet? No, they haven't. That's yet to come. And what we've been studying both prophetically and in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're realizing they will, see their, they will see their Savior. And when they see their Savior, they will see him who was pierced, and they will begin to weep because they would say, wow, look at all this time we wasted, saying that he wasn't the Messiah, when in fact Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. And so the Lord did everything possible to prevent all those things from happening, but, but they refused to listen. So, so he, had to, he had to hurt them to heal them. You know, that, that's a concept we see in the scriptures. And again, you know, our, our finite, earthly, fleshly minds can't understand that sometimes. But when you go through a breaking in your life, because God's trying to get your attention... That doesn't, that's, that, that, that doesn't tickle. It hurts. Yet we know what God is doing. The sacrifices of God, David says, are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, thou will not despise. God knows how to break his sheep. And he knows how to heal his sheep. In the long run, the sheep know who their shepherd is. In the long run, the sheep know where the shepherd is leading them. In the long run, the sheep know that when the sheep goes astray, the shepherd will seek out that sheep and bring him back. Okay, so we won't be here till 1230, but it could be 1130. I better, I got to get back on, on track here. So he had to hurt them to heal them of their sin of idolatry and, and, and spiritual adultery. And it would eventually work, I mean, because their eyes finally opened to their sin. 
And I say this over the years. But now, being brought to the present, the Lord speaks forth the judgment that would take place, and, and by whom? Notice, if you will, in verse 28, it says, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will deliver thee into the hand of them whom thou hatest, into the hand of them from whom thy mind is alienated. There's that phrase again. And they shall deal with thee hatefully, and shall take away all thy labor, and shall leave thee naked and bare, and the nakedness of thy whoredoms shall be discovered, both thy lewdness and thy whoredoms. You chose to go a different route? You chose to go and do your own thing for your own pleasures and for your own flesh? So what's going to come on you is the like kind of judgment. You dig a hole to throw somebody in there, guess where you're going to end up? In the same hole. I will do these things unto thee because thou hast gone a whoring after the heathen and because thou art polluted with, thy, with their idols. Thou hast, hast walked in the way of thy sister. Now remember, Samaria was an example to them. Don't go this route. Don't go that way. Look what happened to them. That's why the Lord has used these examples in this parable for, as, as two sisters who were both born in Egypt. Thou hast walked in the way of thy sister, therefore will I give her cup into thine hand. The cup of judgment. So because Jerusalem has forsaken the Lord, the Lord would forsake Jerusalem. He would allow her former lover Babylon to crush her, and the enemy's treatment would be extremely cruel. They would plunder all of the wealth and the treasures of the capital, Strip the city naked, strip the temple naked. What we're seeing in this text is Jerusalem's spiritually adulterous ways lying exposed for the entire world to see. And when the nations of the world observed Jerusalem's total and complete destruction, their conclusion would be that she had, she had angered uh, the God they professed to love. All of these things would happen uh, simply because... Jerusalem had turned away from the Lord and given herself to false gods and unbelieving nations. That's verse 30, by the way. I will do these things unto thee because thou hast gone a whoring after the heathen and because thou art polluted with their idols. And there's something that, that I'd like to show you in, in Psalm 62. So if you'll turn to Psalm 62 for just a moment. And it's really verse 12, but I'm going to start reading in verse, verse 8 because this is what they should have been doing. This is what we as believers need to be doing every day. Trust in him at all times. That's pretty simple. Trust in him at all times. You people pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah just means meditate on this, chew on this for a while. Surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God, 
As spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. What were they wanting? They wanted pleasure, they wanted prosperity, they wanted power. They were on the world stage now. They were trying to compete with, you know, all these other nations around them. God says, I'm the power. The power belongeth unto God. Now notice verse 12. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. Now that's something they need right now. They need mercy. For thou rendest to every man according to his work. There it is. Thou rendest to every man according to his work. Whatever work they're doing, they're going to get paid for it. You work in evil, evil things, evil ways, then what's going to come back to you? You sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. It would take so much to awaken them out of their sleep. Look at verse 32 of our text now, back in Ezekiel 23. Thus saith the Lord God, Thou shalt drink of thy sister's cup deep and large. Which, which means that's a lot of judgment there. Thou shalt be laughed to scorn and, ha- and had in derision. It containeth much. Thou shalt be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, with a cup of astonishment and desolation, with a cup of thy sister Samaria. Thou shalt even drink it and suck it out, and, and thou shalt break the shards thereof. In other words, it, whatever container it is, usually like some kind of pottery, that would be broken. And then, you know, sometimes it would take that pottery and use the shards as, as a scraper or sometimes even as a knife if it was sharp enough on the edges. But notice here, thou shalt even drink it and suck it out, and thou shalt break the shards thereof and pluck off thine own breasts. For I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast forgotten me and cast me behind thy back, therefore bear thou also thy lewdness and thy whoredoms. The cup was large and, and deep, indicating that it had a large amount of wrath, of judgment. And when Jerusalem drank the wrath of God, she would be filled with drunkenness, sorrow, ruin, and dis- desolation and she would have to drink the cup dry she would have to drink it dry and after emptying the cup she would dash it to pieces and tear her breasts in distress and agony with the shards I mean that that's a horrible picture but if you think about it in 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 the terms of what we're seeing I mean the very things that, that people use today for trying to attract or, 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 or trying to, you know, go the extra mile sexually or the extra mile sensually is what eventually will destroy you. Rather than do things the way God says to do them, in, in, in the right way, in the beautiful way that God has designed uh, relationships to be. I mean, this behavior was a distinctive way of saying that the devastation of Jerusalem would be a total devastation, a terrifying experience for all the citizens of Jerusalem and Judah. And don't forget now that there is a remnant that is not following after these things, but they're going through the same thing. They're going into captivity. They're being punished as well. But the Lord would make absolutely sure that Jerusalem bore the consequences of her sins. 
Would God take care of the remnant? Of course he does. So consider, if you will, when we thrust God behind our back, because that's what, that's what God is saying here, you're throwing me behind your back. I mean, that, that is, that's, a, that's a vivid picture here. That's a, a, a very graphic kind of example. Where is God in your life? Are we, are we yoked to him where he is right next to us and he leads us and we follow him? In that, in that example that, that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We can follow that picture. What about the picture we've been studying in John chapter 10 about the, about the shepherd and following the shepherd? And following close to the shepherd. Is that where God is in our life? I would hope that that's where we are with him. But can you imagine a people that were called by his name? And remember the great prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will heal, forgive their sin and I will heal their land. There's the great mercy of God that's always been out there for them. But what did they choose to do? Let's put... Let's put God in our rear view mirror. That's kind of sad. When you, could, when you put God behind you, you're going to forget God. If he's not ever before us, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What are we going to follow? If we follow our flesh, forget it. We're in trouble. Where will our flesh lead us? But to every place where we will meet the destruction of the enemy. It's what the enemy wants us to do. For whatever it's worth, whatever you're thinking about Christmas is or whatever, you know, there's, there's an American atheist group today that are putting out big posters that say, Make Christmas great again. And at the bottom it says, skip church. And some idiot got on TV the other day to try to explain that. And yes, that's what he is, an idiot. But, you know, I say that in love. But he's trying to, you know, well, he's trying to say, well, you know, we're, we're just saying that, you know, people shouldn't be forced to go to church. How many of you were forced, no, don't raise your hand, how many of you were forced to get here today? You come to church on a Wednesday night. You're here because you want to be here, I hope. Or something brought you here. I hope it was the Lord. And every time we get together, that, that, that's what it is. We come not because we're, we ought to. We come because we get to. I get to come to church. I get to worship with you guys. I get to see what God's going to do in your life and in, and, and in mine. Uh, that's a tremendous privilege. Oh, but we got to take, you know, what we... You know, we, we just want to reach out to those who have been forced to have to believe this kind of stuff, you know. I don't, I don't want to get inside the TV and go slap his face. Just slap him upside the head, you know. 
I had to pray. I said, Lord, forgive me. I'm just trying to... And they'll let anybody on TV nowadays. But, but do you understand what I'm saying here? You start, you, you put God up behind you, you forget him, and then you lust for anything else. What we're doing is that we're showing that we don't trust the Lord at all. And many people today are looking to the world system to provide peace and security and prosperity and purpose and fulfillment, health, happiness, and all the other normal desires of the human heart. But the the gifts of this world are temporary. They are temporal and, and they last only a brief time. The permanent possession of these things comes only from the Lord who is the source of every good thing as we are told in James chapter 1 verse 17 every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness no variation neither shadow of turning and it brings to mind what 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 happened in in uh, in, in revelation chapter 3 where jesus gives a message to a church called laodicea or a church in laodicea the lukewarm church. And he says to them, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not thou that knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. What are they saying? Well, God, you didn't really give this to me. I got it myself. And I have need of nothing. I've, I'm increased. I think of the words of Job, uh, J-O-B, right before the book of Psalms. And some of the words that he says in, in Job, uh, Job 31, verses 24 through 28, If I have made gold my hope, or have said to the fine gold, Thou art my confidence, if I rejoice because of my wealth was great, and because my hand had gotten much, if I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart had been secretly enticed, and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied that, the God that is above. By, by simply wanting to have all of these other things, he's denying the God above. If I've made gold my hope, then we deny the God who gives us life. So we arrive now at, a, at an overall description of the sins of these two sisters. Let's go on because of time. Verse 36, it says, The Lord said moreover unto me, Son of man, wilt thou judge Ahola and Aholiba? Yea, declare unto them their abominations, that they have committed adultery, and blood is in their hands, and with their idols have they committed adultery, and have also caused their sons, whom they bear unto me, to pass for them through the fire to devour them. You all, know, you all remember what that is, right? That's the worship of Molech. Moreover, this they have done unto me. They have defiled my sanctuary in the same day and have profaned my Sabbaths. For when they had slain their children to their idols, then they came the same day into my sanctuary to profane it. And lo, thus have they done in the midst of mine house. Look at how wicked they had become. Physical and spiritual adultery. They committed murder of innocent people. They sacrificed their children in the fiery altar of the god Molech. They placed idols in the temple. And after all these things, they would go into the temple as if nothing was wrong. That means they would go to church on Sunday and they'd live from Monday to 
to Saturday, they, you know, their, their, their life was lived for hell. What we learn from history, some great historian once said, what we learn from history, sadly, is that we learn nothing from history. In fact, it was a man named Hegel who said, history teaches us that we learn nothing from it if these things are happening. Think about it. Throughout the world, let's just say, let's just say, all right? Throughout the world, let's just say professing Christians are lying, they're cheating, they're stealing, they're murdering people's reputations with their tongues. They're committing the worst of, sexu of, of sexual sins of all types and at all levels. And then they're in church on Sundays as if nothing of any consequence happened in their lives. No remorse, no repentance, and, an and, and being unaffected by their actions. They're just not affected by it. Well, the Apostle Paul makes, makes something very clear for us in 2 Corinthians 7. In verses 9 and 10, he, he says this. He says, now I rejoice not that you were made sorry. I don't rejoice that you were made sorry or sorrowful, but that you sorrowed to repentance. He rejoiced in that they, they sorrowed unto repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. You know, Paul wasn't there to judge them. Paul was there to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they would come to him and repent. And uh, most of us are familiar with verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance or produces repentance to salvation not to be repented of, which means godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation without regret. Without regret. But the sorrow of the world worketh or produces death. It produces death. And if I could just kind of sum all of this up in one simple sentence. Be truly sorry for what you've done. Not just sorry you got caught. Be sorry for what you've done. But his people weren't sorry. Verse 40, going back to Ezekiel 23. And furthermore, that you have sent for men to come from, from far unto whom a messenger was sent. And lo, they came for whom they didst wash thyself, uh, painted thy eyes. And oh, you painted your eyes, you decked yourself with, with ornaments. They got dressed to the nines, in other words. If you already remember that little saying. And saddest upon a stately bed and a table prepared for it, whereupon thou hast set my incense and my oil. And a voice of a multitude being at ease was, was with her, and, and with the men of the common sort were brought Sabians from the wilderness, which put bracelets upon their hands and beautiful crowns upon their heads, and then said I unto her that was old in adulteries, in other words, they've been doing this a long time. Will they now commit whoredoms with her and she with them? And yet they went in unto her as they go in unto the woman that playeth the harlot. So went they in unto Ahola and unto Aholibah, the lewd women. 
The Lord is speaking of how Samaria and Jerusalem enticed her lovers to come unto her. The Sabians, by the way, in verse 42, were, were a nomadic people, but their name means drunkenness. So uh, spiritually speaking, uh, that's what was brought into this whole picture as well. So that was the kind of people the Jews were attracting to themselves. And even when they were old, the harlotry continued, indicating that they used their charm to bring these other nations and peoples with, with their gods to them. Now, as believers, we must be careful and discerning about our motives and the motives of others as, as it pertains to where people are trying to lead us. We have to be discerning. We have to be awake and aware of what's going on. So we're told in Proverbs 7, where it's actually speaking of a harlot here, it says in verse 21, with her much fair speech, uh, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield with the flattery, uh, flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straight away or immediately as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the snare and knoweth not that it is to take his life is really what it means. It is for his life. The whole thing is to take his life. Sometimes people say, well, what I do is not a consequence to anybody else. It's a big consequence to everybody else. Notice how quickly he's drawn into this sin and how it destroys him. So how can we avoid this? Look at verse 24. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she has cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Folks, the thing that you have to do is keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't let them be drawn to the left or to the right. Don't be moved by every wind of, of what may be so-called doctrines of people today. Because those paths lead to death. And it is a destructive path. It destroys families. It destroys relationships. It destroys trust. So don't be like an ox being led to the slaughter. That's what happens when we just let ourselves go. To the things of the flesh. To the desires of the flesh and of the mind and not be renewed in the mind, as we're told by Paul in Romans chapter 12. He says, be renewed in, the, in your minds. Let's press on. Verse 45 now, Ezekiel 23. The righteous men. Okay, the righteous men, who are they? Well, we'll find out here in a moment. The righteous man, they shall judge them after the manner of adulteresses and after the manner of women that shed blood, because they are adulteresses and blood is in their hands. For thus saith the Lord God, I will bring up a company upon them and will give them to be removed and spoiled. And the company shall stone them with stones and dispatch them with their swords, and they shall slay their sons and their daughters and burn up their houses with fire. Thus will I cause lewdness to cease out of the land, 
that all women may be taught not to do after your lewdness. Now remember again, spiritually speaking, we're dealing with Samaria and Jerusalem as sisters. So the picture is here of whoredoms uh, committed in that, in that respect. Not that every woman, but, but just that you know, these, these two cities are, are being judged. And, and they shall recompense your lewdness upon you, and you shall bear the sins of your idols, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. So these righteous men who will judge this nation are the true prophets of God. They are the prophets that God has raised up to go to both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel and Samaria, the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem. Understand that they're not righteous in themselves, but in God. And the prophets will be the first ones to tell you, I'm not righteous except that God has called me, that God has, has, has anointed me, or that God has, has put his mantle upon me. The love that they have for God was manifested in their lives and the things that they did. And the, and the opposite is true for those that hate God and are not living for God. Their lives will manifest wickedness. As we see in the nation of Judah as well as what we're seeing in our own nation today. Interestingly enough, punishment for adultery, both spiritual and physical, was stoning. You can go back to Leviticus chapter 20 to see where it says, you know, that that's what was the... That was the judgment for those who were caught in, in, in adultery. But as for a city doing, those, uh, doing these things, I want you to consider something. And we're going to actually close with this here in just a moment. But if you'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. And look at verses 12 through 16. If thou shalt hear, say, in one, of the, in one of thy cities, which the Lord thy God has given thee to dwell there, saying, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you, and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Belial or Belial is, is really a, a, another name for the devil. And so certain men are going out representing the enemy and telling, let's go serve other gods. Skip church, right? Let's serve other gods which you have not known. Then, then shall thou inquire and, and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought among you, if these things are happening among you, thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword. Now notice, the whole city that follows after another gods, or that follow after other gods, destroying it utterly and all that is therein and the cattle thereof with the edge of the sword. Remember that the Lord says, hey, everything's got to be wiped out. Why? Because all of the sin has to be wiped out. That's the same thing spiritually to each and every one of us. When we came to Jesus Christ, that he shed his blood to forgive us of all of our sins, not just the ones that we don't want to hold on to, and then maybe we can hold on to the ones that we do want to hold on to. No, he came and wiped out all of our sins. 
That's what he died on the cross for. That's the seriousness of what Christ came to do. For the lost sheep of Israel and for the Gentiles. And thou shalt gather all the spoil of it into the midst of the street thereof and shall burn with a fire the city and all the spoil thereof uh, every whit for the Lord thy God and it shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. Well, may I, may I just may make mention of one city, Sodom? That was destroyed and never rebuilt again as an example? And there certainly were others. But the reason for all of this is that they are reaping what they have sown. God warned them, and they refused to listen. The God who told them, I am a God who is a God of mercy, mercy to thousands. And if you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you will be blessed. I will bless you. God warned them and they refused to listen. And his judgment came down upon them, not, not to completely wipe them out, we know that, but, but to help them to see the Lord once again. To open their eyes to the truth so that they might repent and return to him. I can tell you, this, this was not an easy chapter to go through these last two weeks. Not just that it might just bring up some questions as to what we believe about a God that would allow these things to happen. No. If we start thinking like the world, we're, we're, then we're thinking like half of the church today. That doesn't read the Bible, that doesn't trust the Word of God, that starts to trust, uh, you know, seminarians who may have five or six degrees on their wall, but they have no faith or trust in the Lord Jesus Christ at all. And if we stand out and stick out like a sore thumb because we, a sore thumb because we believe the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, I'd rather be a sore thumb. Because I know what he did for me. I know what he did to me. I know what he did with me. And I know that he's still there. He didn't put me out to pasture. If I made a mistake in my life. He worked. He broke. And he healed, as he continues to do today. Why? Because his love is everlasting. Because his love is steadfast. Because his sin is only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But we have to believe. 
and confess. I was uh, thinking uh, as we were going through this this chapter, uh, the words of of the, the Apostle Peter in his first letter to the church. When he said in, in 1 Peter 4.17, it won't be up here, but you can look up, look at it in your Bible, look at it in your Bibles. 1 Peter 4.17, it's really something that we need to mark in our Bibles and we need to learn and understand what it says. But it, Peter says, for the time has come, the judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? If judgment, if judgment begins with us, folks, now what kind of judgment would that be? Would that be the same kind of judgment that we saw in, in chapter 23 of Ezekiel? No, not really. Because if you look at the context of this passage in 1 Peter 4, he's talking about the things that are going to happen to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. People are going to, be, people are going to reject you because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you hold and believe in it. They're going to persecute you. Verse 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. Verse 18, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful, faithful creator. <laughs> These things are happening to us today. More and more, because we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we believe Jesus Christ himself, because we believe there's only one God in three persons, because we believe that God created the heavens and the earth in seven full 24-hour uh, uh, days, because we believe these things. And because we believe that Jesus is coming again, that he could come again at any moment. The world thinks we're nuts. That's okay. They can think what they want. All I know is this. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was blind, but now I see. So what does it matter what the world thinks? What does it matter? And I think that judgment is happening now in the house of God. That people are realizing that there's just a lot of hype a lot of entertainment, a lot of other kinds of stuff in, in, in churches, and the Bible gets put aside. And yet every word is true. So I just encourage you, stay on course with Jesus Christ. Stay on course with him. And let's all make this resolution, not just for 2017, but for however long God has us on this earth, let's make the resolution today to finish well the race that is set before us. 
the course that God has given for our lives. Let's finish well. Let's hope and expect to hear the words, enter in my good and faithful servant. My good and faithful servant. We know our struggles. We know our weaknesses. But God knows them better. And all we need to do is surrender them to him. And every day, God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in him. Serve him. Love him. And get to know him more today than yesterday and more tomorrow.